A deranged gunman kills five people at a gay club. Violence increases across the U.S. during the holidays, and Christianity is to blame. Did you see that? A Latin American country arrests over 50,000 people alleged to tie, allegedly tied to gangs. And also, my last word, why I didn't appreciate Christmas until I was about 27 years old. This is On My Mind, and I'm Ray Perez. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm Ray Perez. I appreciate you guys welcoming me into your living rooms. Over the last two weeks, I've been away. First, I went on vacation, and then when I came back, I was really hit with a, with an illness. So for those two weeks while I was gone, I was I was missing a lot of the news that was in the respective news cycle. But as I was on vacation, traveling on the airplane, sitting in airports, I was actually tagging and saving news news stories that I thought I could still talk about when I come back after vacation from being sick. And while I was on vacation and I was tracking all these news stories, I'd save them like on my likes on Twitter, on Instagram. Maybe I'd send them to myself. And I realized that I was saving stories that had a lot of crime in it. Now, of course, across the, across the country, we live in a country where there's 300 million people. Of course, there's going to be all kinds of crime. But when you see, when you start hearing in the mainstream media, who is to blame, that's when my radar goes up. And that's when I say these are crime stories, major crime stories, which I'm about to get into in just a second, that I can still talk about in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months. I want to start, I'm going to start it into the massacre that happened at the gay club, that the, the, the gunman that shot up a gay club in Colorado, the AP reported on November 19th, a 22-year-old gunman opened fire opened fire with a, with a semi-automatic rifle inside a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, killing five people and leaving 25 injured before he was subdued by heroic patrons and arrested by police who arrived within minutes, authorities reported. And it didn't take long, as happens here in California in a very, uh, uh, in a very, strong gun control state where gun control comes part becomes the main topic. We don't have enough gun control, but it actually went a little further. The left-wing media brought in Christianity and why Christians were to blame. Okay. Now on this podcast, on the political podcast, on my social media, I almost never invoke the Bible. I never invoke Christianity. I never invoke the first, the, the New or Old Testament, I just never involve my religion in the political discussion. And I'm a practicing Catholic, okay? But, but, when you start seeing media pundits, not only media pundits invoking the blame of Christianity or God, you also start to see that seep into the common culture on Instagram and on Facebook and, and Facebook stories where your average person starts blaming Christians, God. And I'm here to tell you, we have a God problem, not a gun problem. The Denver Post's editorial board came out with a piece titled, We're Looking at You, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Stop the intolerance. And the reason why this came out is because Lauren Boebert, who represents the district where the gay club in in 
Denver is located in Colorado, Lauren Boebert came out with this statement. She said, quote, the news out of Colorado Springs is absolutely awful. This morning, the victim of their families are in my prayers. This lawless violence needs to end and end quickly, close quote. And the editorial board continued. This is the same person who has previously offered up these gems, quote, take your children to church, not drag bars. And we went from reading Rainbow to Randy Rainbow in a few decades, but don't dare say the left is grooming our kids. And Whoopi Goldberg, of course, the estrable Whoopi Goldberg on The View said, quote, they, Republicans, don't really need your prayers and thoughts, Goldberg said. They need your votes. That's what they need. So basically what the editorial board is saying, what Whoopi Goldberg is saying, anybody on the left or who's not a traditional, not even a Republican, but anybody who holds traditional values, basically it's come to we can agree to disagree. It's turned into you don't vote the way I like to vote. If you hold traditional values or you don't believe kids should see drag queen story time hour, that amounts to murder. That's what that's starting to mean now. We now live in a society where if you maybe you're not overtly religious, maybe you do go to maybe you do go to church like once a month and you're not overtly Christian or you're not excuse me, you're not overtly Republican or conservative, but you don't really think that kids should be seeing cross-dressing men, meaning men dressed up as women and reading stories to your fifth grader, which is actually happening. If you speak out against that, that means you're committing an act of violence. Instead of, instead of that, instead of saying not some people, it's, it's not some people are deranged and some people commit acts of terror. It's not that. It's because by proxy, you believe in traditional marriage. You don't believe that your 10-year-old should see cross-dressers. You don't think that stories like the Balenciaga scandal, where a high-end fashion design brand had a five-year-old dressed in BDSM drag, you don't believe that kids should be accustomed to that because you hold those beliefs that, that you don't think kids should be prone to that, you are committing active terror. It's if you vote differently than I do, you are a murderer. But I'm here to tell you. It's not a gun problem. It's not a vote problem. It is a God problem. And I'm sharing this on, because I have my, my political social media that you see on Twitter, and then I have my other social media accounts that have nothing to do with politics. But I am sharing this link in hopes that my friends who are not overtly political, but are seeing things like this in the media, these, these headlines, because some people who are not political are now being questioned as, oh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm a religious person. I believe in traditional marriage. I, am I a murderer now? I'm here to tell you you're not. What I am here to tell you is that we have a God problem. And I'm going to break what those problems are. I'm going to break down what those problems are. We as a society, we've gotten more secular over the last 30 years. There's less God. And with less God, here in the United States, you see more secularism, a rise of secularism in Europe, and you're seeing an increase of violence, an increase in crime. 
Now, I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that overtly because you're religious, you are, you're more, you're, you're just going to be less violent. But I am here to tell you, which I'm going to get into in just a second, that if you are religious and you actually abide by religious doctrine, whether you're, you subscribe to Judaism, Protestantism, Islam, Buddhism, Catholicism, those main tenets, if you abide by them, that means you are a peaceful person. But let me break down what I saw in these last two weeks. These are the headlines that I saw in the last few weeks while I was on vacation. Okay, in those two weeks that I was either away or on vacation, when I was away on vacation or I was sick. Here's the headlines. Ex-CNN producer charged with sex crime. Restaurant employee kills gun-toting intruder after being pistol-whipped. Ex-husband opens fire on family gathering, killing two. Gun in, gunman in Virginia, Walmart shooting, de dead as police say seven fatalities, multiple injuries. That gunman in the Virginia Walmart shooting, he left the manifesto, and it reads like this, quote, Sorry, God, I've failed you. This was not your fault but my own. I failed to listen to the groans of the Holy Spirit, which made me a poor representation of you. Close quote. Which goes back to our God problem. The God problem is we have less people following the word of God. People are more secular. People are less religious. And here's the number two God problem. And, I, and here's for everyone. Maybe you're not a constant churchgoer. Maybe you're not overtly political. Maybe you're not even a conservative. Maybe you're just like, uh, hardly, maybe I kind of vote. Maybe I kind of don't. But this has now, those headlines that I just read to you by Whoopi Goldberg and, and the Denver editorial board, that isn't only left at the editorial board. That doesn't mean that it's only left in, in, the, in the halls of social media. It spills over to culture. When you have your basic 25, 28, 35-year-old who's on social media writing things like, oh, if you believe in traditional marriage or you don't believe that, you know, in transgender, that means that you you hate the LGBTQ community. That isn't furthest from the truth. That, that couldn't be furthest from the truth. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why the number two part of the God problem. There is a vile. Yes, vile misconception of religion. The misconception is churches and synagogues are not telling people to go hate the LGBTQ community. I don't know if there's this misconception because I know like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is blaming Lauren Boebert, is, is blaming any Republican, that she, any prominent Republican that she can point her finger to. As if this perverse view that church leaders are telling their congregation, go hate the LGBTQ plus community. I have never, ever sat in the Catholic church or a Protestant church that I had visited with a friend that said, we hate gay, we hate gay people. In the shooter's manifesto, he said he didn't live up to the word of God. The God problem? We need more. More of what? You know what these congregations teach us? Hope, faith, love, grace. Treat others how you want to be treated. 
I'm also not saying to go read the Bible three times a week or go to church four times a week. It wouldn't hurt. But what I am saying is that the misconception of Christianity, religiosity, isn't to hate those that don't hold our views, to dislike or treat differently those who don't hold our discipline. Because being a religious person is discipline. That includes myself, a heterosexual man, finding out that a pretty young lady who has a boyfriend is coming on to me. If I were to practice my religion, it's my religion is not to covet thy neighbor's spouse. That That's what I practice. Growing up in a very Catholic home, and I don't mean like, oh, but Ray, you're different. This, this is a, when I mean growing up in a Catholic home. This applies to almost all Catholics that are supposed to abide by religious doctrine. And even those who are who practice Judaism, who are if you're Jewish, if you're Protestant, if you're Mormon, there's disciplines. Just like let's take religion out of it. If you're trying to lose weight, your discipline is to not eat those foods that you really enjoy but are bad for your health. That's a discipline. You go to these Asian countries that are disciplined, that show respect, treat others like you were supposed to be treated. If anything, the more that I say it out loud, wouldn't we want to inculcate our kids about the words of Jesus or the Old Testament? Religion teaches an important element. Like I said, discipline, respect, kindness. And we need more of that, not less. And it's really perverse seeing people blame Christianity. Now, I'm not here to say that all Christians, all priests, <coughs> excuse me, are all great, because that's not the truth. In, in any profession that you're in, the, you will have somebody who's supposed to be uh, an alleged leader of said of said uh, congregation, church, career. But of course there's going to be somebody that perverses the teachings of whatever said thing is. And when I mean said thing, for example, there's a there's a Netflix series of a nurse who was considered the angel of death, who is killing people who he thought are terminally ill or are going to die anyways. There's like two Netflix series about it. But you don't hear a call of people demanding that the healthcare industry be overhauled because, because a nurse is killing people. No. People see that as a nurse who's perversing medicine and killing people. They see him as somebody who shouldn't be in the profession. But because religion, it holds tenets of discipline, of everything that, that the far left does not like. And that involves when, if you vote the way how your religion teaches you, meaning maybe you believe marriage should be between a man and a woman. But that does not mean that you go disrespect people who hold opposing views. In my family, we have people who are gay. And they're the most kind, kindest people that we know. Almost anybody that I know 
who is homosexual or not even homosexual. Let's just, let's say there's a straight male, a straight cisgender male who's promiscuous. That also goes against my religion. But does that mean I'm going to treat them differently? Does that mean I'm going to go start shooting up men and women who start cheating on their spouses? Does that mean I'm going to start treating people who are on their second or third marriage just because it's against my religion? Absolutely not. And anybody who does is perversing the word of God. Like I said, I almost never bring up religion. The only time I bring up religion on my podcast is when I see that, that Christianity, Judaism, is unjustly blamed for something that they didn't do. Maybe it's maybe, just maybe, these people who are committing these crimes are deranged and need help and should be locked up. And anybody who uses the, the name of God or, or the, the label of religion to advance their perverse views, maybe, just maybe, they're not actually religious. Hey guys, uh, I'm going to go to break in just a second. Please follow me on Twitter at It's Ray Perez on Twitter. We are live here on YouTube at It's Ray Perez. This is on my mind. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Latin American country that has locked up 50,000 people allegedly tied to gangs. And then I'm going to break down, tell you why I didn't see Christmas differently till I was 27 years old. This is On My Mind, and I'm Ray Perez. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. You know, I, I came back from Cancun, Mexico, and I had a great time. And I, I, it really befuddled me how these hardworking people, in Mexico, they work six days a week. Six days is their average work week. Here in, here in the United States, it's five days. And the their peso there, 20 pesos equals $1 here. So it's very much devalued. And they have a major tourism industry in the country of Mexico. But you see a lot of poor people in Mexico, many coming across the border. And obviously, we have a border problem. That's a, that's a discussion for another day. However... I was having a conversation with a, with an uncle of mine who closed down his business here in Northern California and opened a business, a Mexican restaurant, in his home country of El Salvador. And I said, why would you take your business to a country that is stricken with gang violence? And he said to me, gang violence is almost non-existent. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, they, El Salvador, their new president, has locked up over 50,000 people allegedly tied to gangs. And I had to look it up. And so here we go. By the Associated Press reported by NBC News, El Salvador locks up 50,000 for alleged gang ties, extends suspensions of rights. <coughs> Polling has shown the measure is widely popular despite criticism over civil rights. Groups and relatives of the detained people have been arrested without evidence or due process. 
With 50,000 people locked up since late March for alleged gang ties, El Salvador's Congress has approved another month-long extension of the state of the state of exception that suspends some fundamental rights in the name of combating the country's powerful gangs. Polling has shown that the measure to be widely popular despite criticism from civil rights organizations within and out, without outside of El Salvador. But here's the part that they are not missing. See how they had to sneak in that. And look, and, and I get it, right? I, I get that, that among criticism over civil rights, but the one thing that they are missing here is back in March, March of 2021, there were over 16 killings. No, excuse me, 60 killings in broad daylight, in El Salvador. And these aren't 60 killings that have to do with only amongst gang members. That means that the regular population, innocent people, fell victim to crime. And El Salvador, the president who was newly elected, locked up 50,000 people. And over at usnews.com, uh, Nelson Rentaria over there at usnews.com says a strong majority of Salvadorians approve of President Nayib Bukele's government despite controversies of his policies and U.S. sanctions on his cabinet, according to a poll by investigative unit of local newspaper La Prensa, published, latest published. The findings show that 85% of those surveyed either highly approve or somewhat approve of Bukele, who's 40 years old, despite some skepticism of his move to make El Salvador the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as a legal currency. He has also largely brushed off accusations from the U.S. and rights groups of power grabs aimed at weakening the democratic institution. Only 12% partially or highly disapprove, the poll showed. About 3% about of people did not respond to the query. That put Bukele's approval slightly higher than 84.9%, so almost 85%. The previous September poll, though, has dipped modestly since. And this kind of goes back to the question, if El Salvador can target 50,000 of these alleged gang members, instead of, and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine about a year and a half ago, he's a consultant here in, in California, works for, for a Republican congresswoman, a, 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 a Republican congressman, said to me, imagine instead of invading Iraq, we took our military and went into Mexico and just drug out all of the cartels in Mexico. How much more the people of Mexico would be flourishing? And then you also have to think, what if it's just a perpetual cycle that, that the government, the leaders in Mexico are just profiteering off of what the cartel is doing to the Mexican people. Maybe, just maybe, if Mexico did what El Salvador did, maybe the people that maybe the people that are coming to the U.S. looking for a better life, instead of paying the coyotes, because if you're paying a coyote to come into the United States, you're you're putting down ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars. What if the government wasn't corrupt? And those people took that money and started their own business in Mexico. And then here in the U.S., we would have more trades with people in the with people in Mexico. Maybe the people of Mexico would be able to utilize 
their natural resources, their iron, their gas, and actually have trade value with the U.S., with other parts of the country, instead of being held hostage by the cartel, by those corrupt people in government, and risking their lives to cross the river to come into the United States to maybe or maybe not have a better life. At some point, we need to start doing or start figuring out how do we do to Mexico what they're doing in El Salvador. I'm a fourth-generation Latino, and I just came back from Mexico. My people, people there, deserve a better life because they are damn hard workers. Guys, this is on my mind. I'm going to go to break really quick. I'm going to tell you a quick story of why it took me 27 years to appreciate Christmas. I'm Ray Perez. Come back to me. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in and uh, welcoming me into your living rooms. If you guys are still following along here, we've actually covered quite a bit. We uh, covered why we have a God problem, not a gun problem. And El Salvador, their president, Bukalele, has actually cleaned up their act and more business is expected. More tourism is expected to come to El Salvador and good for that country. But I want to actually get into a story, um, my, my personal experience. I used to be a big Raider fan. Uh, before the Raiders left Oakland, they should dress up season ticket holder in the black hole. Well, every year, uh, my late friend Grizz, he had we had our group called the 66th Mob or Forever Oakland, and we were known for tailgating for 72 hours. We started off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before a home game. Well, every December, what would happen is every December we would go out and feed the homeless, and <clears throat> this one year actually. It was a little different, and I'll tell you why it was different. We made about 500 peanut butter jelly sandwiches, and my friend Grizz, my late friend, knew the streets in deep East Oakland. I'm talking about the streets that you see on, like, National Geographic, you see on the news, high gang violence. Because he knew the streets, I knew we were safe. So there was about 20 of us. We went into Oakland with our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We had about four cars full with a, worth of gently used clothing and waters, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and crackers and blankets. We go out and we start handing out these blankets to these adults. Some of these adults have a drug problem, alcohol problem. I don't judge. And it's sad, but they're adults. And I met this one gentleman. He had been out there, he told me, since 1995. And from what I can tell, he that's just his way of life. Sad. But while we were out there, they were happy and joyous that we were out there. We were cracking jokes. We were high-fiving. And it was pretty cool, right? Well, as I'm having fun, like, talking to these people, because some of these people, they just want somebody to talk to, right? And it's sad, but these are adults. Right, like there's adults, and you have kind of sense like, if you've been out here since 1995, mm, all right, you know, like, fine. Well, here's where it starts to take a turn for me, and it wasn't just like, oh, it just it was just that day where this happened to me, and I forgot about it. As I'm walking away from this block that we're on, we're on, I believe, on uh, International, and we're walking by. And this young lady, no older than 30, comes up to me. And she goes, excuse me, sir, 
may I have this leather jacket? Because we're parked. We have our truck there. She reaches into the bag that we told her to look into because maybe there was some clothing that she wanted. And she goes, sir, may I have this leather jacket? And I said, absolutely, honey, please. And as a matter of fact, take this blanket. And she said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. She was very thankful. Puts the leather jacket on, puts the blanket on, wraps it around, and I can see her shivering. The equivalent to like when you get out of a swimming pool and you're like really cold and you wrap that blanket around you, like you're literally shivering. That's what I saw from her. Mind you, we're in Oakland, in the Bay Area, middle of December, 30 degrees outside with a little bit of a wind chill. That gentleman that I had talked to that had been out there, you know, since the 90s came up to me and, you know, you get the sense that he knows the streets, right? Says to me, that young lady is four months pregnant. And she sleeps on that cardboard. So, mind you, five minutes beforehand, I'm chopping it up with these people that are living on the streets. Like, they're they're having fun, right? Well, that turn that changes a little bit for me. My mood changes because you have someone who's pregnant with a baby who didn't ask to be there, right? But I, I'm just okay. And then I continue to walk and. You see adults passed out alcohol bottles. Maybe you see some syringes. I passed some houses with bullet holes. Mind you, we're in Oakland. Maybe I saw a bullet hole, I think, like in a car. And I go, okay, this, this is pretty serious. Like, this is the stuff I see on TV. This is where it turns for me. I turn down, like, a street, and I go into, like, well, I, I guess a parking lot. And there's a Dodge minivan, and the doors open. Okay, the door's open, and these two kids run out of this van. No older than 12. I think they were like 8 and 10 years old at the time. This is back in 2016. And the kids see my group, and obviously you can tell, like, we have things, whether, like, maybe they, they saw it as me bringing, as us bringing presents, because it's, it's around Christmas time. And these two kids came up to me. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, you know, I'm just like, all right, I have these kids. They're going about to change my mood. I just saw this pregnant lady who lives on the streets. You know, I like, who doesn't like kids? And they say, may I please have, you know, or I offered, would you like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And they said, okay, cool. Of course. They, they were like, oh, man. They, they opened up the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Both the kids, like, swallow it whole. And I, I, I was like, you have to be there. I'm like, oh, okay. Can I, would you like some more? And they said, may we please? Like they were very, uh, they had their manners, right? And I was like, okay, like I, 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 still, I don't know how to put it in words. My reaction was they, they're really enjoying these PB&J sandwiches. And the 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 older sister the the what the ten or twelve year old says the last time we ate was at four p.m. yesterday. It's one o'clock in the afternoon at the time. And I I wait what? What's going on here? Like, and they asked for a third bag, and I said, "Have you know what? We have more. We had like twenty left over. Please have it." And. I bring this up because as I'm talking to these kids, 
I think I look around and you can, I, I think where I, where I was, you can see like part of the structure to the Oakland Coliseum for the then Oakland Raiders. And what it was for me, it's like I'm seeing these people that are either hungry, these adults that are um, that are cold, pregnant woman, these kids that haven't eaten in like 20 hours, living outside of a van, and the mom, the mom wasn't a wreck. The mom, like you can tell, she was she was caring for her babies. From what I understood, the the mom worked full time and they lived out of a van. And seeing the structure to the Oakland Coliseum. As, I, as I'm looking, right, like I am intaking all of this. To my right, remember, I'm, I'm with like 15 others from my fan group. There's another gentleman I realized that he was intaking and internalizing what I'm internalizing. And what we were internalizing, and you can tell what we were thinking. We were thinking, here we are, three blocks from a coliseum where adults are playing a child's sport, a barbaric one, are, are getting paid a million dollars minimum while three blocks away, kids are starving. Pregnant ladies are living on the streets on cardboard. And the human mind, to internalize it and comprehend it, there's so many things that you're trying to process. The first one is, I'm living in America, the United States, California, the fifth largest economy in the world. I'm not in the Philippines. I'm not in the you know in the in the poorest parts of Africa. I'm in one of the richest countries on planet Earth. And you can try and justify some of the adults that maybe they make their own decisions and you're the product of your choices. Okay. But what do you say about kids, the unborn and the 10-year-olds? Like everything that I'm saying right now that you're hearing come from my voice was going through my head that winter morning, December 23rd, 24th of 2016, as I'm bundled up and the wind is the Bay Area wind is hitting my face. I I, I didn't have like at one point I had my, I remember my friend Jules, she saw me get kind of like angry. Mind you, I, I bring up Jules because Jules actually works with the homeless. She goes out to Oakland and goes out to the homeless encampments and actually brings them toiletries, right? I'm not used to that, and she is. I have this other gentleman. We'll, we'll, we'll call him Armando. Armando's on the right, and he's literally going through the same thing I'm going through. And the words that came out of his mouth as I'm internalizing all of this, he says to me, he goes, you know what, Ray? I work on housing in San Diego. I'm a roofer. I work on multi-million dollar homes in San Diego. And here I am in a drug-ridden community in Oakland feeding starving kids. I, I will tell you, it was very difficult holding back tears holding back tears because there wasn't somewhere that we could go to absolve what was going on like we couldn't just say look press this button go to this person make it all go away we knew that after we left there it was going to continue no matter what right 
I go back to our meeting place where we tailgated overnight. It was It's across the street from the Coliseum. It's called Mob Alley. Go back there, drop off their stuff, went back to my hotel. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I could not move. I could not watch TV. I couldn't enjoy myself. I could not look forward to our tailgate that we were going to have at 10 o'clock that night. We we're going to have beer and we we're going to have food. And I wasn't even thinking that. I looked at the time, I'm a, I'm a senior in college. And I had gotten an alert about one of my school loans. I prop open my bank account and I had a little under $1,000 because I had school loans and whatnot. And as I'm looking at this, my mind goes back to my day that I was just experiencing. And I got to tell you, I never felt, if there ever was a word, like such a thousand air. Like having a thousand, like I had about $800 in my bank account at the time. I felt hella rich. And not only did I feel hella rich monetarily, I, I had a new value of having family that I can rely on. Because some people don't have family. When I'm sick, I know I can rely on my cousin or my aunt or my mom or my grandma or whoever. And if my family's sick, they can rely on me. If any, like I have family that have been down and out, I can lend them a couple hundred dollars and then they're back on their feet. And some people don't have that. So I returned back to my tailgating area and I told my late friend Grizz at the time, because he fed the homeless, he feeds the home when he was alive, he quite often fed the homeless. And I told him, I don't know how to feel about this. I feel differently about Christmas now. I don't want the, the materialistic stuff. I just, I, I almost, I, I, I don't know how to, like, I, I cannot enjoy myself where I am at at the moment. I'm frustrated, but I don't know who to be frustrated at. And I can't go, like, go do stuff because it's not going to absolve what I just saw. And he said to me, he goes, I understand what you're saying. I had that feeling too. The best thing you can do, he said to me, was just appreciate what you have. Because what you have, some people don't. Appreciate your loved ones. Appreciate those around you. Appreciate your health. And most importantly, give thanks to God. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is On My Mind, and I'm Ray Perez. Give me a follow on Twitter at It's Ray Perez. Have a good night. God bless you all and have a Merry Christmas.